Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Strategic customer obsession is how do we become curious and understand our customer deeper than just our product or our service or our business today, looking for insights so you can better serve them. That's going to take you into some wandering opportunities where you can expand that customer relationship. Back in 2002, broadband wasn't available. It was a mix of dial-up and cable modems. We re-engineered how product pages are delivered to a computer depending upon the type of connection that a customer had. We would deliver the appropriate web page depending upon what type of service provider you had, giving a much better experience. That's an example of hmm. really obsessing about what that customer experience was and being willing to, to really innovate well beyond the initial engineering yeah. evaluation. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast today as my guest, John Rossman. He's the author of the Amazon Way book series, a former Amazon leader and managing partner now at Rossman Partners. John is an expert in leveraging the Amazon leadership principles to help others innovate, compete and win in the digital era. John was an executive at Amazon where he played a key role in launching the Amazon Marketplace business as the director of merchant integration and went on to have responsibilities for the enterprise business at Amazon. John is also an active blogger and publishes a weekly newsletter titled The Digital Leader Newsletter on Substack. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, the InnovaBuzz podcast, then go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel, where you can access a free gift that my team and I made for you. A short audio book that walks you through every single step of the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered relationship-focused growth engine. In our conversation today, John talked to me about the Amazon leadership principles and the unique corporate culture of Amazon. He explained what obsessing over the customer looks like, and we talked about digital transformation in today's world. 
Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from John Rossman. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome today to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Seattle in Washington, the USA, John Rossman. He's the author of the Amazon Way book series and he's also a managing partner at his own company, Rossman Partners. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, John. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Well, thank you for inviting me and great to talk to you and, and hopefully provide your audience with some interesting takeaways. Excellent. Now, you were an executive at Amazon for many years and you played a key role in launching the Amazon Marketplace business, which I'm sure I certainly have used. Most of um, the listeners have probably had some experience with it. And you're an expert in leveraging the Amazon leadership principles to help others innovate, compete and win, which is what you do in your own company. Now, before we start digging into all of those things, which I'm really excited to do, um, what What's the impact you're making in the world today? You know, people say that when when we're no longer here, the impact lives on. So what's the impact you're making today? Well, I think it, it comes in a couple of different ways. I'm fortunate to have a great family and hopefully I'll live on kind of through through my, my kids. And honestly, that's been just a tremendously gratifying part of and priority uh, in my life. But, you know, I get nice feedback every week from somebody reading either the Amazon way or my newsletter, the digital leader newsletter, and, and just saying, Hey, thanks for the, you know, simple little tip or suggestion or technique to help us, you know, think a little differently to, uh, pursue root cause and friction a little bit more. And, you know, ultimately I just want to be remembered as a, you know, practical strategist and a practical problem solver. And, having helped, you know, lots of different types of companies, you know, compete better. And that's, you know, and leave behind some, hopefully some nice books that even when they've aged, you know, like the nice thing about writing about principles yeah. is they are meant to be durable in nature. Can't say they last forever, but the essence of them is um, they're not time bound. They hopefully age really well and um, they advance kind of slowly. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say that I really, uh, one of the things that I really liked about the book, I really liked a lot of them. Um, the, the latest one, the 14 Leadership Principles, is, is exactly that. It talks about principles. So you start off talking about the principle, what it means in, in a high level sense and then what it mean what it meant in or what it means in amazon and how it's applied and then you give examples with stories of how people live those principles which is another key point that i'll touch on in a moment um, so there are 14 principles and i as i was going through preparation for this i thought is it uh, is it is there a Lord of the Rings moment like the one principle that rules them all? And if it was if I had to choose, I'd say it was the first one obsess over the customer. How do you how do you see it? Yeah, I think that that's probably pretty fair. The customer obsession. It was, you know, Bezos launched Amazon with the, the stated clear um, goal of being the world's most customer centric company ever. And the rest of these principles kind of developed 
I was at Amazon from early 2002 through late 2005. These principles weren't codified. Like they weren't like, oh, these are the principles. We were hammering them out and, and figuring out like, oh, like how do we solve in this situation? What do we prioritize here? How do we work together? Um, what are the different types of styles or approaches to leadership? And after I left Amazon, a couple of years after I left Amazon, they, they codified these. And, you know, I think the, you know, I, I always say like, you know, the book, my work, it's not about Amazon. It's about you mm -hmm. and like, how can you compete different? How can you help avoid bureaucracy and equip everybody in your team to kind of do the right thing and to think appropriately given the circumstance. And that's why I think more than one practical, you know, it can be a tenant, it can be a guideline, it can be a principle, like you, you can pick your word. Rules tend to be too rigid and lofty ambitions like, you know, do the right thing or be yeah. a good partner. Th th those aren't refined enough um, to do it. And that's why, you know, Amazon they ended up with 14. They actually have 16 now. And as you read the book, I made a suggestion you to made them a suggestion, for an addition. That's right. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming that they listened <laughs> to me, but um, I think it was clear they had a couple of topics that they needed to address. And that's what I suggested to them. And they, you know, the thing I love about them is, you know, they're vocally self-critical and like, yeah, we need hmm. to, we need to act bigger uh, than sometimes we have in the past and we need to prioritize uh, employee experience and safety and so they're working on those things and they're those were important enough that they made them two new principles um, in, in the in their set it is a lot to, to digest in the you know in the in the book I, I one of the appendixes is about building your own principles and one of the things I suggest is don't rush into it take your time draft your principles live with them for a while, uh, practice them. And, and then over time they become real habits and you'll figure out what's the right approach for us. Certainly one of the principles is um, being self-critical and, um, and also there's, there's another one there, disagree and commit, which I think if my interpretation is correct there, it's, it's having the permission almost to challenge the status quo and and having constructive debate around what perhaps needs to change, um, yeah. even even at the principles level. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's called have backbone, disagree, and commit, and it reads that leaders are obligated to respectfully challenge decisions when they disagree, even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting. Leaders have conviction and are tenacious. They do not compromise for the sake of social cohesion. Once a decision is determined, they commit wholly. And so it really is about, you know, having truth seeking moments where we use customer obsession and data and insights and problem solving skills to really understand the situation. Play your cards at the table, park seniority, park those things that don't matter. But when the decision maker mm -hmm. makes a decision, we all have to wholeheartedly work to make that successful. And if you, if you have that, like, hey, we have the decision, we play the game, but then we make a decision with the you know, appropriate tone and tempo and speed in the organization, you're, you're, you're gonna be, be, make better decisions as a team, the team's gonna understand better 
why this decision was made. They're going to be able to replicate that type of approach on their own at the right moments. And um, you're going to have a respectful balance between um, decision-making rights and kind of control versus everybody participating and debating on a topic. And you need both of those things. Mm. Consensus is a really um, – it's it's a dangerous mindset to have when you're trying to solve hard problems or do hard things. It can be important on some aspects like, you know, what do we serve for lunch? Well, you want to have consensus on a decision like that, right? You want to try to please the most people. But like, do we invest, like which of these ideas do we invest in? We have five good ideas. Consensus probably isn't the right approach mm. to making a decision like that, right? So you have to have the the right approaches for the right moments. Yeah, and I think you, you also highlighted that there's two parts to that, which is when the decision is made, that however that decision is made, that everybody then is 100% on board with it. And I think uh, a lot of my experience in um, where there was the ability to have those kind of conversations, um, although you, usually there was still something hidden, you know, there was still somebody holding back some cards because they would then play out later on and it became evident that they didn't agree with the decision and they were not a hundred percent committed to to that direction yeah. which you know that, that that's the two parts isn't it they have to come together it, it is and part of the obligation is on the decision maker and how you facilitate meetings to clearly articulate what the decision is communicate it out in in written substance so that people can peg it and reference it and and you can refer back to it and everything right and and so oftentimes somebody thinks they've made the decision but if but if only you know about the decision or a limited few and you and you don't have kind of the testimony of like you know how you got there and whatnot well then it's harder for others to respect that decision and understand how we got there yeah that's right all right well there's I had a thought there about the um, the I'm not sure what you call it, but basically writing instead of doing the PowerPoint presentation, writing out uh, the long documents, which are the briefs. But I wanted yeah. I'll come back to that in a moment. I wanted to come back to this principle of obsessing over the customer, which is you alluded to it that 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 was kind of one of the first ones that was articulated. Um, give us an example where that that really highlights how that how that worked, how people lived that, not just an executive making a decision, but sort of on the uh, maybe even in the distribution center or, yeah. or something like that, where people actually they didn't have guidelines or something, but that they lived this philosophy. Yeah. It, it, so you know the principle is about customer obsession and. Um, you know, leaders work to um, uh, build and meet customer trust. And, you know, while you pay attention to competitors, you obsess about customers. And I, and I think that there's really two types of customer obsession. There's kind of tactical customer obsession and there's strategic customer obsession. Both are important. Tactical customer, you know, centricity or customer obsession is about like, hey, how do we get, you know, today's order, today's transaction, today's customer experience and hit our promise to the customer today. And that's really kind of your operational excellence and like, hey, we, we have to get this right today. Hmm. And then there's the strategic 
customer obsession, which is like, how are how, how do we become curious and understand our customer bigger and broader and deeper than just our product or our service or our business today, looking for insights into that customer so that you can better serve them. And that's going to you know, take you into some wandering opportunities where you can expand that customer relationship and hopefully serve them bigger and broader. And, you know, if you think about Amazon's 27 year journey, it's really been about expanding the customer journey and who the customer is taking those moments like, oh, well, we could probably create a better approach to, you know, that particular aspect of the customer experience or something like that. In, in early example, you asked for an example. So one of the examples I participated in and and remember was, you know, so this is back in 2002. And back then, you know, broadband wasn't available. And so people were, you know, it was a mix of, of dial-up modems and cable modems. And there was, you know, spotty and inconsistent website performance. And, you know, our team was challenged like, hey, you need to improve how detail pages, the product pages are rendered to customers. And we, we were like, hey, you know, we, we're only accountable for so much of this experience. You know, the, the, whoever the provider is, is actually mm -hmm. responsible. And, and like we got back a firm like, no, you need to be more curious in that. So what we went on to was like, well, how would we measure the real to the glass customer experience to the computer screen, the glass being the computer screen, to the computer screen customer experience. And what we figured out was we were able to actually influence the customer experience way broader and way more significantly than our initial kind of peripheral, non-curious, and uh, you know, get through it quickly approach had. First, we were able to work with a lot of the providers pointing out to them like service deficiencies and problems they were having. Secondly, we actually redesigned, re-engineered how product pages are delivered to a computer depending upon the type of uh, connection that a customer had. And so we, we broke it up more refined and we would deliver the appropriate type of web page in the in the appropriate order depending upon what type of service provider you had giving a much better customer experience to customers so that's an example of hmm. really obsessing about what that customer experience was and being willing to to really innovate well beyond kind of what the the initial engineering yeah. uh, evaluation would be and and stepping outside your own environment to that work with with others who had control yeah who had yeah. control over the 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 bottleneck if you like um, that's right mm. that's right it was it was exactly it. it was a bottleneck and uh we took accountability for part of that bottleneck and then we partnered with others to address other aspects of that bottleneck hmm one of the other principles that I love, and I know there's lots of examples of this in the book, is invent and simplify. And so I'll ask you to talk to us a little bit about that. But I'll, I'll also give you a challenge at the end. Well, it's not for you, actually. It's for Amazon, so you're no longer with them. But maybe you can issue another invitation. <laughs> 
Sure. So, um, you know, the third leadership principle is about invent and simplify and that, you know, leaders at Amazon look for new ways to serve customers. They're willing to invent. And um, what I always found interesting about that leadership principle is that the is the and simplify piece and that we recognize that simplifying was as both important and as hard as inventing and simplifying isn't just for the customer experience it's actually more pointed at how we built our internal capabilities that we had to be able to scale and scaling meant being able to do more on an improving economic basis right like that's what real scaling is about Hmm. and that simplifying our processes, simplifying our jobs, simplifying data flows, simplifying technology, simplifying exception paths. All of those things were the important work to be done in order to scale. If you think about most companies internally, it's, it's, it's calcified and and they're typically calcified because of their, they haven't addressed complexity internally, right? Things have just been bolted on and added because of acquisitions and projects that don't advance and half done things and and initiatives and capabilities that have been left behind. And if you truly want to scale something, you have to go back and and re-rationalize, really zero-based design um, the approach, the process, the the capability to re-engineer it fit for purpose for what you, the future of your business need, needs to be. And so that's where I work with uh, some of the most interesting work I get to do is on the, the, the complexity and simplification game. And if you think about complexity, it typically um, lies at the intersection of products, process and organization. And it typically is embedded in multiple of those axes. Um, and so you really have to understand, like, where is their valuable com- complexity, complexity that serves the customer versus non-value added complexity. And that we have to zero in on and really re- use that as a lens to, to improve our capability. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I really love that principle. But one of the things it <laughs> kept reminding me of, and it was quite, almost like a little um, needle needle that I was sitting on that was just, you know, that's annoying is, um, and this is my experience as a customer of Amazon. Uh, So I have one Amazon account. When I log into that account, so, and that one Amazon account is connected to my Kindle, it's connected to my Audible, it's connected to my affiliate account for Amazon. Depending on what I want to do, I have to log into different accounts. So I have to log in separately to Audible with the same password. I have to log in separately to Kindle with the same password. I have to log in separately to the affiliate dashboard with the same password. But even worse than that is depending on where the, where the IP address sends me in terms of the data going through, it'll log me into Amazon.com or it'll log me into amazon.com.au. And for example, books that I've ordered or or, or, uh, won't necessarily be on each of those accounts. They won't necessarily show up. So sometimes I find myself, I'm sure I bought that book. I'm sure I've paid for it. And then I, and now I've learned that I have to log out of that account, log back in and, and change something in the IP. So I thought, 
that's an opportunity to simplify something for the customer and yeah, <laughs> obsessing yeah, over yeah, the yeah. customer. And I wonder if anybody's ever gone back to Amazon and said, hey, look, I think there's an issue there. I don't know whether it's me or... <laughs> well, um, uh, that's an interesting use case. One, I, I, I probably don't run into because I don't have kind of the international complexity yeah, yeah. Uh, that you do. You know, I would just suggest, and, and you know, this email address uh, is well known out there. Send an email to Jeff at Amazon.com with the situation <laughs> and, you know, try to break it down as, as best you can and everything. And maybe um, it'll it'll find its way to uh, the team that is trying to figure out identity is a really tricky uh, thing, a really important um concept in this digital world and getting identity right is 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 a really hard problem and, it, and it's so fraught with fraud and and you know fraud mm -hmm. is becoming such an important aspect and tied to identity so I, I i don't have any immediate either solution for you or suggestions but yeah. um yeah that's it that's an interesting use case that's a hard problem hmm. all right the it was just one that I thought we're talking about the invent and simplify and the customer experience. I thought, yes, there's so much good stuff um, that Amazon is doing and that I'm experiencing as a user. But then that to me was, oh, that's at odds with this. Certainly with it gets to the fact that, you know, Amazon, like any good company, understands like you're never done reinventing the customer experience. You're never mm. hit perfection. Um, one of the, the newsletters I wrote in uh, the Digital Leader newsletter was about chasing perfection. Right. And, you know, you're never going to mm. be perfect, but your goal is to be excellent. And you use metrics, you use signals like a customer complaint to recognize where is there still friction in operations, in the customer experience. And you have to have the mechanisms in place in order to address those points of friction. And so, um, you, you know, that's, that's part of the story is that you're never done. And especially in a, in a complex scenario, there's always opportunities to improve the customer experience. Yeah, and, and technology is evolving so quickly as well, right? Um, you, you touched on security there, and there was an interesting news article yesterday on the news that I saw, and, and I guess this has been happening for some time, where some of the major um, technology companies are working on removing the whole idea of passwords and people having passwords that they either have to remember and then often they choose something really simple, like I think... One, two, three, four, or there's something like that that is the most common password. password used. It's kind of like, or password, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like 30 or 40% of all the passwords in the world, which when you think about that is pretty stunning. And, and the, uh, they're working on using biometrics yep. in some form, whether it's, um, uh, iris scans or fingerprints to, to substitute for passwords. Now that you can do a lot of that already on some of the mobile apps, but of course on, on PCs or Macs or desktop computers in general, that's, that's a bigger challenge. Yes, it is. Hmm. All right. Well, you've mentioned your digital leader newsletter a couple of times. And one of the things you, you certainly talk about a lot there is digital transformation. And, uh, I mean, Amazon, were one of the very early big marketplace online sellers. 
Over the last few years where we've been in this pandemic, a lot of businesses who are in bricks and mortar um, e-commerce have transitioned to e-commerce and online selling. What what are some of the lessons that you talk about and you've learned from Amazon and from your own experience in this whole digital transformation Oh, yeah, nice. well, you know, first I'd say this isn't about retail, right? Like every industry, every type mm. of business model is undergoing rampant change, you know, really fueled by a technology uh, like uh, cloud computing, new business models and a ton of capital that's being invested to do exactly this, which is to, to disrupt the, uh, the the traditional uh, companies out there, right? And so it's it from my standpoint, in my experience, it's ubiquitous um, across industries. And none of this is really about retail specifically, but it's about every company and seeking to compete differently in the digital era. And so, you know, you know, the stats are like, you know, essentially like everyone has a digital strategy or is pursuing digital transformation, but yet, you know, 70% of all uh, digital transformations and digital initiatives fail to reach their promise. And so I was just like, well, how can that be? Like, these are smart people, um, but they continue to invest a ton of money and resource and management attention and and hope into these initiatives, but yet they know that uh, they're not successful. And, you know, the only conclusion you can come to is because they know they have to do it, right? But they don't quite know, like, what's mm. the recipe to successfully change. And so, you know, digital transformation is made up of two words, digital and transformation. And so, well, what does being digital mean? To me, being digital means um, two attributes. And those attributes are speed and agility. Speed is really the attribute of seeking perfection, right? Highly efficient, highly effective, um, highly precision-oriented speed. That's really our operational excellence capability. So digitally transformed organizations have the have the used digital capabilities and modern techniques to take operational excellence to the next level. And you need to couple that with the skill set of agility. Agility is the skill, is the ability to be able to sense and make change happen, right? Like that's our that's our innovation capability. And Companies need both of those playbooks, a speed playbook and an agility playbook tied together with digital technologies and, and digital capabilities. So now the question like, well, you know, what is, what's the secret sauce? Like what's the playbook in order to successfully digitally transform? So, you know, this is this is my theory, right, um, uh, of this. And there's room for, for different points of view on this. But I think first is organizations don't do a good job of defining uh, the future state, the to state, right? The, you, you have to think about the from and the to. What, what, what we're really good at, mm. or we tend to be better at, is like commenting about the current state, like what sucks about the current state? What's, what's the issues? What's the frustration? What we have a tougher time doing is imagining the future. Amazon has a technique about working backwards. Start with the future. Start with the future customer experience and then work backwards. Um, you need to think about, I think, five key scenarios in order to improve the future. Customer experiences, employee experiences, operations, connected products uh, and services, 
and, and business models and value propositions. And so the first thing to do to succeed better at digital transformation is take those five scenarios and define your portfolio, uh, specific ideas within those five vectors of change in, that you might improve on and then rationalize them, right? There's going to be more ideas that you can pursue, figure out a way to rationalize those and prioritize those. Then once you understand like, okay, these are the, the, the select few ideas that we really want to pursue. You have a better definition of what the future is going to be. You need to think about a set of five levers that need to work in concert for you, right? These are, this is about leadership. It's about, uh, working backwards, so start with the future in mind and work backwards. You need to think about um, what's the right set of technologies and capabilities in order to provide, you know, the magic to these to these capabilities. You need to develop uh, a, a, a innovation and agile mindset, right? You need to scan, test, prototype, decide what to scale, what to prune. And then finally, you need to keep score correctly. You need to use the right types of evaluation and metrics at the right moments relative to these concepts. So if you, if you go to my website, you know, the amazonway.com, the-amazon-way.com, I have a framework outlining um, this is for free um, that helps you understand like, oh, these are the, the vectors in order to calibrate myself against in order to successfully transform. And, and my big belief is we need to find little ways in an organization. We need to shrink the change. We need to find little ways, little changes to, to, to make that have big impact relative to these concepts, right? Like we're, we're not going to change the essence of every company from, you know, what they are to this, you know, innovative Silicon Valley, you know, organization. Like that's just, that's just, um, uh, hyperbole. That's false hope uh, right there. What we have to do is take the essence of a company and its culture and find little ways to help it compete better in the future. And, and so we have to dial ourselves against kind of these five factors and find little ways that we can help do it. That takes that takes real diagnosis to do, right? There's no one playbook that you can play against that. Mm -hmm. But I really believe it starts with a good honest diagnosis of you know what's our ambition and what's our current state so that you can really figure out well what do we need to do and how do we need to change in order to get there yeah yeah i love it that's very comprehensive and i love that you said uh, figuring out the small changes that that can be made very quickly because that that again comes back to one of the uh, principles that you outlined from Amazon, which is the bias to action. And and it occurred to me as you were outlining that, and you also talked about um, the pursuit of perfection, or um, which we never achieve, but having the highest possible standards. And there's sometimes that, that can be at odds, right, with quick action, because people spend all their time planning, they spend all their time, no, no, that's we need to refine that a little bit more and, and nothing ever gets done. And so the transformation part of that digital transformation doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it takes judgment and wisdom, right? You have to know which details are important. Uh, what can we be sloppy on? Uh, what what needs to be, you know, uh, precision oriented and super well thought through? And you, can, you, you, you can't compete being a perfectionist, right? Like there's, there's no place, but it's understanding yeah where to have a high bar and how 
at moments having a high bar puts you through, you know, whatever the tough moment is or the, the tough problem. And that takes real wisdom. And I've seen concepts like that used incorrectly, you know, and like, well, everything has to be perfect. No, 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 no. Not everything has to be perfect. The right things have to be perfect. And we have to have speed, which means calculated risk taking in order to iterate and to test and to move faster. Um, you can't afford to be slow in making change happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point. Okay, one of the things I did want to come back to was this idea of um, the briefing paper. I can't remember exactly yeah. the term you used, so you'll have to refresh my mind on that. But what, what in Amazon, rather than having this bullet point, PowerPoints with a lot of bullet points and a lot of fancy slides, um, you actually write out the entire scenario, giving examples. And, and I thought that was a fascinating way of really uh, having forcing yourself to, as the writer into deep thinking about the whole issue and then of course sharing that document or sharing that story with others then allows that conversation those those um, constructive discussions that we talked about earlier. So tell yeah, us a so, little bit more um, about that. As I mentioned, kind of the Amazon philosophy is, is is called working backwards. Start with the end in mind, start with the customer in mind, work hmm. backwards. And the way they do that is through writing things out, right? And, and um, the writing has to be specific to, you know, where you're at on this problem or proposal. But essentially, every project, every proposal, every complex problem uh, gets written out and they call these narratives and they, and, and they have a specific technique, you know, they do six pages, no more. Um, and, and it really is a, it's a team writing and team thinking process to help a group of, of, of leaders, a, a group of problem solvers understand together exactly what the situation is and exactly what they're proposing and kind of why. And then those those papers, as they go up the organization, meetings start with 15 to 20 minutes of silence where, where leaders read those papers. They grok them. They deeply understand. And they'll oftentimes pull out a red line and like edit or debate that, right? And so that's a real opportunity for a senior leader to specifically change or or influence the design or the thinking on a problem or what's going to be built. And and what it helps is not just the the thinking of the group, but it helps in passing it forward, right, to others who need to participate in whether it's implementing it or taking whatever the next steps are. And then the other, you know, one of the other benefits of doing this is, you know, in three months from now or six months from now, you can you can pull this out and you can audit against it, you know, and everything. Right. Um, there's there's a in, in the mm -hmm. book, I outline kind of the specific techniques. There's the narrative. There's the future press release. There's writing FAQs. Sometimes we would write a, a user manual before we built anything. And this seems like going slow, but it actually is the best way to experiment without building anything, right? You're experimenting by debating these ideas and hmm. writing them out in full papers and full paragraphs with full sentences is the best way to thoroughly think through a subtle and complex situation. Hmm. Yeah, I, I really really um, found that fascinating and I think that, that 
it can be really valuable to do that because like you said, it gives everybody the opportunity to get involved, to understand. And I've seen PowerPoints where after the presentation might be quite exciting, but then afterwards, you know, well, I can't remember exactly what was said there. And you look at the PowerPoint and it's kind of just it completely meaningless. That is one of the big weak that is one of the big weaknesses of PowerPoint is it, it it's the presenter hmm. who is really providing the meat of the concepts, not the material itself. Yeah. Which is appropriate in some presentations. But some settings. Yeah. But perhaps not in, in this planning scenario and strategy sessions. Right. That's right. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, John. This has uh, been really great. I think it's a good time now where we can move on to the buzz, which is the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the idea is that you'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome as a result today, to take some action and have some sort of transformation. So you ready? Okay. I'm ready, I think. Well, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I, I, I would go back to the last thing we just talked about, which is write out hmm. the idea. Like that is the input that can help you clarify exactly like what your concept is, who your customer, why are they frustrated, and what are you proposing to do about it. So write it out. Hmm. And and talk to others about it. Have have them contribute. That's yeah. right. Get and get critical feedback. Like don't hmm. look for kind of like hey, yeah, nice job. Well done, feedback. Yeah. <laughs> look for critical feedback. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Great. Love it. All right. And what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Um, I get to work with my clients uh, on them and everything. And, and you know, I honestly like uh, the, the, the thing I've done recently, like the newsletter has been, uh, you know, I get nice feedback on it, but it's been such a great mechanism for me to clarify some of my thinking on some important topics, to test things out with users, the readers of my newsletter. And so in my business of kind of thought leadership, the newsletter has, you know, I'm coming up on just a year for the digital leader newsletter. It's been a tremendously uh, like impactful and creative way for me to test concepts out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I was just going to say that's, Essentially, it's it's another way of doing that writing exercise, isn't it? That's right. So, yeah. Exactly. Mm. And getting the feedback uh, from the readers. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Well, I use uh, Wikipedia a ton, right? Like, you know, and who would have thought, you know, 15 years ago, even mm. 10 years ago, that probably the best um, resource uh, for for history and and facts is a crowdsourced mm. online encyclopedia and, and everything. So yeah, I use uh, Wikipedia a lot, and you know I'd say the other thing is I, I do I use I use podcasts and and I listen to so many so much of my content today, and so I appreciate you know resources like your show that that put meaningful quick bite material out there and it gives me something to think about hmm. yeah it's it's pretty amazing with the technology we have today isn't it that that knowledge essentially is crowdsourced it's available right. to everybody in in days gone by we've had to go to public libraries and hope that our local um city or local government had a really good public library today we just go on the internet and there's so many different resources that's right hmm. 
Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? What's the best way to keep a client on um, Define the mission clearly up front, right? Like so much of my experience in advising and consulting is both parties, both the client and the consultant didn't truly understand the mission um, and kind of nuances around the mission. Like, is it more like this or is it more like that? Or is it more like this, you know, and everything, right? Um, and so taking the time to really define the mission and exploring different angles on it, I think is is the number one I don't know if it's the number one reason, but it's the first thing that oftentimes goes wrong when, you know, we're talking about doing an engagement. Yeah, that's right. That's it. If you don't set them up front, then people kind of set their own expectations and they're not necessarily in alignment with uh, all the people involved, right? Right. I mean, it's the, it's the essential mm. challenge of communication. Like, you know, mm. I think I'm being clear. You think you're you're hearing and understanding, but we're actually kind of talking past each other. Mm. All right. Now, clarifying expectations up front, really important. And what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Oh, you know, I think it's, it's about value proposition uh, design, right? And being super clear about who you're customer is and why are they going to love you know your product and your service and 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 how is it different and i don't think um companies or teams um really spend enough time in defining their value proposition and kind of like well what's the singular you know killer feature reason why your product or your service is going to be differentiated and you know in this highly a discoverable world out there, value propositions are are all that much important. And especially if you're thinking about introducing new products and services, you know, you have to find one specific reason why it is tremendously better than the competition um, and identify with a specific type of user. And that's the way to get to market. Hmm. So being really clear on who the user is and then the value of what your proposed service That's or right. product is for them. Yeah, and there's a lot of good material out there about, you know, value proposition uh, definition mm -hmm. and, and helping you explore it and understand it better. Excellent. All right, well, thanks for getting us through the buzz. And uh, now where can people reach out to you and learn more about what you do and get a hold of your digital leader newsletter and also, um, well, your books will be on the website, I yeah. So, so the Amazon way is available, of course, at Amazon in yeah. paperback, in Kindle, in Audible. Uh, you can reach me. LinkedIn is probably the easiest. John Rossman and the Digital Leader Newsletter. Uh, you can go to Substack and just search John Rossman or the Digital Leader Newsletter and you'll find it. It's available for free. Um, and that's the best way. I do have a website. It's rossmanpartners.com, but those other three are maybe easier to remember. Okay, and we'll have links to in the show notes so that people can click straight through as well. Super. So what action would you like our listener to take away from our, our conversation today? Well, um, you know, think about how are you going to compete in the digital era and work with your colleagues, work with your company's leadership on building a specific 
concept, a specific set of hypotheses on how you're going to win in the future. Most companies really only plan in, you know, what we consider kind of the first horizon, right? They really aren't thinking about the second and the third horizon and you need to be acting and investing and and exploring concept as early as possible. So that would be the number one thing I'd recommend uh, for your mm. listeners to do. Excellent. Well, that's great. So looking out beyond that first horizon, which might be a 12 to 24 months time frame. Uh, yeah, or even shorter off, oftentimes, yeah. right? It's like this <laughs> quarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what else is out there? What's happening in the environment? What, what are the opportunities that that um, opens up? Great. All right. Finally, John, who else should I get on the show and why? You should get Jeff Bezos on the show. <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, boy, um, I saw you had uh, James, uh, 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 last you, name. Eichner. Uh, um, Eichner on the show. He's excellent. It, yeah. uh, Roger Martin uh, would be a good author and professor uh, to get on the show. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll get an introduction to Roger from you and reach out to him, begin that conversation. And yeah, I'd love to have a chat with Jeff. That would be <laughs> awesome. But I suspect that he might have hey, lots of I, more I, important I, I, things I, to I, do. I, I already gave you his email address. So, <laughs> excellent. Okay, well, we'll tack on the invitation right on. to the uh, feedback. <laughs> thanks, John. Thanks so much for sharing your insights and helping us dig deeper into the Amazon way, the principles today. And I'll have to go and look up what the other three uh, new principle or the other two new principles are the other one is the one you suggested but i'll update myself on that perfect and certainly encourage the listeners to do that as well and yeah all the best for the future and let's stay in touch okay well, it was nice meeting you thanks for your time I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really informative conversation with John and took something away from his episode. So think about how you will compete in the digital era. Work with your team to build a strategy to compete in the future. Build a specific set of hypotheses on how you're going to win. Explore concepts that you develop early. And then think beyond the first horizon. Think about the second and the third horizon. John's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash John Rossman. That is J-O-H-N-R-O-S-S-M-A-N. -S -S all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash John Rossman. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with John, as well as links to the Amazon Way website, to John's social media pages, to his Digital Leaders newsletter, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. Now, if you've listened this far into the show, then, and you've listened to other shows, then you'll know what's coming up now. If you love this conversation, and you know it would be useful to one other person, be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. And my guess is that in the 525 or so other episodes that we've published up until right now, there's at least one more 
that you haven't heard yet that is equally as valuable to you as this episode. So go ahead, find another one, listen to it before our next published episode, then send me a note on LinkedIn about which episode you picked, why you picked it, and most importantly, what was your biggest takeaway? What action did you take as a result? John suggested that we have a conversation with Roger Martin, author of A New Way to Think on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Roger, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of John Rossman. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to InnovaBuzz.co forward slash Flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.